Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. We apologize to those of you who are on Zoom. We realized that we were having some technical difficulties, but um, I think Yusuf's video came through on YouTube live and in the greenhouse. But we uh, are not in control of all the technical difficulties. That's one of the annoying parts of life is technical difficulties. Who in here has ever uh, wrapped the Christmas lights around your Christmas tree and plugged them in to discover that they don't all work? Yeah, multiple times. It's super annoying to me. Technical difficulties. I was uh, getting ready for Christmas and I was outside of our house and I was wrapping our porch, which took like hours to weave lights in our little stoop and all our little metal rails. And I put them all together. And it looks like this. And, um, and then I, I asked all the kids and Natalie to come out for the Clark Griswold unveiling moment where we plug them in. And then the brand new strands of lights are not working. And it just drives me crazy. And I think it drives me crazy the most because they were brand new and they were supposed to work. But I was trying to figure out why I get so annoyed and upset when things don't work. And in that situation, I was super frustrated because my brother-in-law, Natalie's brother, Nate, we went to visit him over Thanksgiving and it looked like I'd driven up to the Festival of Lights. And, And so I at least wanted to like enter a respectable entry into the unspoken family Christmas light competition this year. And, and I get up there and I'm starting to weave these and I plug them in and I realize they don't always work. And it just gets under my skin. I have wrestled my entire life um, with the colors of silver and bronze. They are my least favorite colors. I only like the gold. I like to win. I have become addicted to winning Winning has stolen the affections of my heart in so many different ways. It's led me to cheat on tests. It's led me to use other people to climb a ladder. It's led me to lie about the number of golf strokes I take. I have worshipped winning in so many different ways. If you've been around Church of the Redeemer for a long time, you know we talk a lot about worship. And you maybe have heard us talk about our mission statement, to follow Jesus as a worshiping, missional community of faith. And this morning's sermon is framed around our mission statement. It's framed around worship and community and mission. Our hope is to be a church of people who are being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. To be a people who are being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And that happens through worship and community and mission. So I want to start out by asking you a simple question. What do you worship? What do you love so much that it terrifies you to imagine a life without it? What motivates you? What occupies your heart and your mind? Is it your image, your reputation? Is it your phone and your notifications? Is it the number of dollars in your bank account or the number on the scale in the morning? Is it another person or a relationship or a political party? What do you worship? If nothing's coming to mind, I'd encourage you today after the service to over lunch, ask a friend or family member this question. Ask them, what do I worship? Are there idols in my life that I am unaware of? And if someone you trust has the courage to answer your question honestly, do them a favor and thank them. And if you find yourself arguing with them or getting angry or irritated about what they answered, then 
chances are they've hit pretty close to home. When we experience that irritation, it's like somebody's holding a metal detector over these specific areas of our heart and they're showing us right where our idols are. For me personally, one place that's tended to show up often as an idol in my life, especially of late, especially of this week, is our kids' bedtime routine. If they can get ready for bed and brush their teeth in 15 minutes and get in bed, then I'm in a good mood. But if it goes past the 15-minute mark into the 30 or 45 or hour mark, then I find myself... uh, like there's this angry elf in me that starts just rearing its head and you know standing on the table of my heart and yell, waving its finger and just mocking me and I and I and I can't stand what happens to me. Why is it that it's so important to me? What is why what is it robbing me of? I think kid free time has become this idol for me at night. And it's not a bad thing to have kid free time, but when a good thing becomes an idol, a little G God thing then it's a bad thing. Why do I believe that watching a 45-minute mind-numbing episode of something is going to bring me more life and delight than delighting in my kids and patiently tucking them in bed? Why do I believe that? Because idols distort our thinking, and they trick us, and they lie to us. But thankfully, y'all, our good God knows that idols will always let us down, just like my Christmas lights. And as any good father would want for his kids, God wants us to be kept from being let down in that way. He wants us to find true life in him, not in the idols that we chase after. The passage that we're looking at today is found in Isaiah 42, but it's tied directly with the preceding chapter in Isaiah 41. And if you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Isaiah 41. We'll put some of the verses on the screen. But at the end of Isaiah 41, we read about idols. Isaiah writes, behold, they, he's referring to the idols, are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their images are but empty wind. I want you to picture a mom or dad shopping with their kid after Christmas. And the kid's got Christmas money and the kid wants to spend it. And the kid's at the store and they see these junky toys. And they're like, I want to spend all this money that my uncle gave me on this toy. And the parent's like, that toy's going to break tomorrow. It is made so poorly. Do not spend your money on this please don't buy this candy. I mean, this is going to be gone tomorrow. You know, the parent sees what is true and what is good in much the same way. God is saying, your idols are delusions. They are but an empty wind. They will leave you with nothing but an empty heart and an empty wallet. That's what God's doing here in Isaiah. He's being a good father who wants the best for his kids. Right here at the end of Isaiah 41, it says that your idols are a delusion. Behold, Your idols are a delusion. And in the first verse of the next chapter, Isaiah 42, where we're spending our time today, we hear God the Father say another, behold. He says, behold, my son is my delight. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit on him. Now, the original hearers of this verse would have read it long before Christ's birth. But we get to read it in the context of the New Testament. And it helps us understand that the servant that Isaiah writes about that he prophesies about is none other than Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one who is worthy of our worship. At Church of the Redeemer, we place the highest value on worshiping God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And we know that we will daily be tempted to worship other things, lesser gods. So because of that, we gather every Sunday to remind one another, y'all, he is so much better. We worship him and him alone. He is where we find our true delight. Our first allegiance is not to a flag. It is not to a country. It is not to a political party. It is not to a retirement account. It is not to a social media account. Our highest love is given to a king who lays down his life as a servant for his people. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of our worship. But even the very language of worship can be twisted into a weapon. As we celebrate Epiphany and we think about the story of the wise men searching for baby Jesus, I want to read you two sentences I read this week that were written by another Anglican priest as they spoke about the events that occurred at the Capitol this week. They wrote, in the story of the Magi, King Herod tries to use the wise men as pawns in his own quest to protect his power. He promises that he too is devout and that they can trust him. And then he asks his astronomer visitors where to find Jesus so that he also could worship him. Epiphany therefore reminds us that the very language of worship can be wielded as a weapon of earthly political power. Now, when I read that, some of you likely feel uncomfortable and others of you want to cheer. But whatever emotion you feel, I'd encourage you to just pause for a moment and examine your heart. Pray and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Show me my idols. Show me my sin. Show me my disordered loves. G.K. Chesterton was asked, what is wrong with the world? And he wrote back two words, I am. In this season, we are going to celebrate the light of Christ. And the light is always good. And it's always good news, but it's not always comfortable. Because light exposes the darkness. Because light reveals what is hidden and often what is hidden in our hearts. But before we can move into a place where our hearts are ready to worship our servant, King Jesus, we have to contend with our own idols and our own sinfulness. That's why we get on our knees every Sunday and have a time of confession before communion. Because before we can freely worship King Jesus, we have to crucify our idols. And we do that through confession. Today, during that time in our service, I'd encourage you to take a moment and lay those idols down. Your God so longs for you to be free of the burdens that they bring you. And that the darkness that they hold over you. Why? Because he delights in you. Isaiah 42, one says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen and whom my soul delights, I will put my spirit on him. It's in this delight that the father finds in Jesus that leads us to part two of our mission statement as a church. Part one is all about worship. And then part two is about community. Now, most of the time when we hear the word community, we think of drinking coffee in the greenhouse after church. But here in Isaiah 42, 1, we're given a picture of God's perfect community, the union of one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's a community and a family that we are invited to participate in. We all have this longing to be a part of great community. 
Have you ever seen the Holderness family? It's from North Carolina. It's on, on YouTube. Like you see it and you're like, oh, I wonder what it'd look like to live in that family's house. Or you see like this NBA team doing these handshakes and you're like, man, I'd love to like have a secret handshake with LeBron James and, and be able to like be a part of that team. Or you're at the park with other moms and you see these moms who are friends who've met up there and you're like, oh, I'd love to be a part of that. Or, or you see somebody's Christmas card that you get in the mail and you're like, man, they're family looks like something I'd really love to be a part of. It doesn't, it doesn't look like my family. And we long to be a part of that. They look enticing, all of those communities. But the reality is we know that every one of those things is much more broken and imperfect than the Christmas card we're seeing. But the community of the Trinity is perfect. And it's this family that we are not excluded from. It's one we're invited to participate in. And the language used in Isaiah 42.1 sounds a lot like the words we heard God speak over Jesus during his baptism, as Kildu read during the gospel reading today. Now, this doesn't sound like a dad who is, can't wait for his son to get in bed so he can go watch Netflix. This sounds like a dad who is so excited about delighting in his kids that he just wants to fall asleep with his kids in his arms. The Hebrew word for uphold is talmach, and it means to grasp, to hold tightly, to support. It's this image that God the Father is holding the Son in an affectionate embrace. Last Sunday, I was at church standing right here talking with Dan Alger and his oldest son, Eli, who's a teenager, walked up. And instead of standing beside Dan, as I anticipated him doing, he just kind of leans in and starts bear hugging his dad really hard. And, and then Dan starts bear hugging his son right back. And they just like held each other in this beautiful embrace. And it just felt like, man, the world is right. You know, God has knit us together in a way that when we see that, we know like that's what we were created for. Like to be in this intimate embrace with our father. We know that deep, deep within us. But the lures of the world has tricked us into thinking that empty idols can bring us deeper satisfaction than intimacy with God. How come Jesus didn't succumb to idols? How come he didn't bow down? Because he knew that his father delights in him. And his father's delight was more precious than anything else. The reality of our world is that it's sadly more rare than common to find someone who would say, my earthly father delights in me. Even hearing me say that simple phrase likely stirs up deep wounds for many of us. And whether we realize it or not, our, our quest for parental approval is what leads us to chase many of our idols. You know, we're, we're asking mom, dad, do you notice me? Do you hear me? Do you affirm me? Do you protect me? Will you hold me? Will you delight in me? It's how God designed us. Those are the cries that he put into our hearts. We were created to be children who were delighted in. And if you are in Christ, no matter what your relationship with your earthly father is like, when God, your heavenly father, looks at you, he looks at you the same way that he looks at Jesus. It's why we wear these white robes on Sunday morning to remind one another that we are washed clean from our sin with the righteousness of Jesus, with the righteousness of Christ, with the blood of the cross and the new life of the resurrection. And if you're listening this morning, and you feel like you're wearing these dirty rags of shame and guilt, your creator and your heavenly father wants you to know that he has washed you clean. And that because of Jesus, 
He doesn't just can stand to be around you. He loves to be around you. He delights in you. And if you're stuck in the dark and you're just going through the motions of life, God wants his light to break in to your heart and to transform you. But so often we are so distracted by our idols that we neglect putting ourselves in a position where the light of Christ can transform us. God doesn't ask us to try harder or to be better. He simply asks us to be present and available to him. But this takes time and it's often much slower than we'd like. It's amazing how many commercials and YouTube videos promise a 30-day transformation of your body. That is a lie. It is not true. I have tried it. It takes so much longer. It's how God designed our bodies to transform slowly. And it's also how he designed our hearts and our minds and our souls to slowly change. As we celebrate Epiphany this week, as we think about the wise man, let's think about what happened in that story. The story of that epiphany, that first epiphany. And I don't don't know how smart the wise men were, but um, the truth is no matter how much wisdom they had, they had zero chance of finding the baby Jesus apart from an epiphany that was given to them as a gift. It wasn't something they could study and figure out and track. An epiphany isn't something we can muster on our own. It is a gift that we are given. The wise men simply received the gift and they did it by paying attention and then obeying and following the star. Are you paying attention to God? He is speaking to you. He longs to speak to you and he wants to show you the star that he wants you to follow. He wants to hold your hand and to lead you. It's not a game to him. He is your father who delights in you and wants to lead you to encounter his son. If you truly want to know the delight that your father has in you, open his word. When God's word is open, his mouth is open. He loves to speak to us through his word. Read it aloud. Read it silently. Read it alone. Read it with your family, with your roommates, with your friends, with your spouse. God wants to speak to you through his word. God wants you to see that life cannot be found in anything else other than the very word of God, the lagos that Dan preached about last week. All of your other idols will leave you longing for more. They will leave you for what, longing for what you truly desire, and that is intimacy with God. And in this broken world, in Isaiah 42, we're given a picture of what this perfect intimacy looks like. It looks like this community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's a community that we are invited to participate in. And it's a model for us. How do we live out community in the life of our church at Redeemer? And now we move to part three of our mission statement. We began with worship, and then we spoke about this triune community that we're invited into. And now the last part is mission. One of the great temptations we have to fight is to not stop our mission after worship and community. You know, it feels like, all right, that's what we do as a church. Yeah, we worship God, and then we, we stand around the greenhouse and drink coffee. This is, this is more comfortable to me. But there's a third part that is crucial to our faith. Our hope is to be a church of people who are formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. This isn't something we made up. This is how Christ taught us to live. Listen to how Isaiah describes Jesus at the end of verse one. He says, he will bring justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. This passage is crystal clear. Christ's mission 
is justice. Isaiah repeats it again and again, and he uses this Hebrew word for justice, mispat. And it's the antonym of chaos. It means right order. And this word is used over 200 times in all of the Old Testament. And in almost every place it's used, it's referring to caring for those who are vulnerable, to caring for widows and orphans and immigrants and the poor. Today, we may add refugees or or single moms or the elderly. Does our version of justice look like Christ's version of justice? Do our hearts beat after the same things that the heart of God beats after? In Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, we read this Old Testament passage about justice that sounds pretty familiar to us because Jesus quotes it in the New Testament. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. In Luke 4, 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he unrolled the scroll and then he read it and he said, hey, y'all, this is my mission statement. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the mission of Christ to care for the vulnerable, the poor, the oppressed, to rescue them. And this is also the mission that he invites us into. It's a mission of justice. Now, I imagine when you hear me say that we are invited into a mission of justice, you have a few different reactions. Some of you who are more jaded would say, yeah, I mean, I remember I read the Irresistible Revolution book back in college, and and I, I was all about doing justice. You know, I did a YWAM trip, you know, for a year and and did that. I was all about like bringing justice to the world, but that was, that was a long time ago and that ship has sailed. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I mean, I I want to participate in this heart of God for justice, but I, I feel like so overwhelmed in my life. How can I possibly care for the vulnerable and bring justice to them when I can barely manage my own life? Or maybe some of you just feel like a burned out lighter that's just out of fuel and you keep clicking it and nothing's coming up. No matter what you're feeling or thinking, hear this good news that God says here. Here in Isaiah 42, God says, I will take your hand and I will keep you and I will make you a light. And once again, here in scripture, we see God the Father taking hold the hand of his children. Picture a dad holding tightly onto the hand of their kid, leading the kid in the way to go even if the child can barely walk, even if they're not strong enough to hold back onto their parent's hand, the strength and the path lie not in the child's strength or will, but in the strength and the grip of the father. If it feels like you can't even hold on this morning, the good news is that God holds on to you. I recently read through the book of Hosea and my time alone with the Lord in the mornings and And the passage that we're reading in um, Isaiah now reminded me of chapter 11 of Hosea. And before I read it, I just want you to pause for a moment and just think about this question. What do you picture God being like? Do you picture him being a father who holds you? Listen to how God describes himself in Hosea 11. 
When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. We keep running to our idols and they do not do that for us. God says, I will teach you to walk. I will carry you. I will hold you. I will bend down to feed you with cords of kindness and bands of love. I will make your yoke easy. I will ease it and I will carry it for you. Don't you want to know a God like that? When the biblical writers are are talking about this God, they dish out nicknames for him. They call him a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. If you feel like you're fatherless, God longs to be your perfect father. If you've been abandoned by a spouse, God longs to be a defender of widows. If you feel alone without community, God longs to invite you to participate in the perfect community of his family. And if you feel like your life is without meaning or purpose, God invites you into his mission of justice to care for those who are vulnerable and to bring light into the world. As you consider these invitations from the Lord, I wanna leave you with three questions. The first is about worship. What do you worship? Are your idols leaving you empty? Seriously, take some time today over lunch to ask other people, what idols do I have in my life that you see? Take some time to wrestle with the Lord about it and and wrestle with the question, what do you worship? Number two, community. Do you have a regular rhythm of positioning yourself in a place where you can receive the delight of the Father? Once we begin to understand our identity as the beloved then it changes how we interact with everyone around us. It changes how we experience community in our world. And then lastly, mission. How are you participating with Christ in caring for and defending the vulnerable? For some of you who are students, this may look like going to law school to defend the poor or the falsely accused. It may look like being willing to serve as a missionary in a dangerous place. It may look like gathering your community group to build a wheelchair ramp at your elderly neighbor's home. It may look like harvesting carrots from the farm to help feed the hungry. It may look like helping a single mom raise her kids. One thing we know is that the way of Jesus is often much slower and smaller than we'd like. In a world that feels like it's covered in darkness, it can sometimes feel like our little light isn't doing enough. My friend, Justin Smith, who's one of my best friends in town, he grew up here and in Greensboro and 25 years ago, his sister had this idea to take some chicken wire and a string of lights and make one of those lighted Christmas balls that we now see all over town. And, uh, and he, hangs, he hangs, hung them in their yard. They kind of look like this. And, uh, and that first year, 25 years ago, they hung three of these in their yard and this low tree. And then uh, the next year he got, he was a teenager. So he got his potato gun and he tied a string to a lemon and he shot it way up in the canopy. And then they hung more and more. And the next year they invited their neighbors over to have a lighted ball making party at their house. And little by little, the lights began to spread. And this Christmas, thousands of people 
drove for hours to come to Greensboro, to go to Sunset Hills neighborhood, to go to Justin's parents' house, and to see these lighted Christmas balls that started with just three sheets of chicken wire and three strands of lights. It didn't take much to start. It just took one family hanging up three balls in their yard. We don't have to carry the entire weight of the world on our shoulders. Jesus does that. We don't have to drive out all of the darkness. That's God's job. And he's going to do it. And he's invited us to participate in it with him. He is the light. Our job is to worship the light and to reflect the light to the world. We hold up our little lights, our reflections of Jesus, our expressions of goodness and justice, and God gathers them up and through us shines his magnificent light into the ends of the earth. This is a slow work. It begins with us confessing our idols and giving our hearts allegiance and worship to our true servant, King Jesus. It's a slow work that is designed to be done in community and not alone. And it's a work that begins right here in our community with the mission he's called us to, to love those who are vulnerable and poor and needy. This is our father's world. Oh, let us never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Amen. Would you pray with me? Light of the world, take hold of our minds, our hearts, and our hands. Keep us and make us to be a covenant for the people and a light for the world, that we may participate with you in opening eyes that are blind, freeing captives from prison, and releasing from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Amen.